Philippians chapter 4. You know, it's a joy to be able to study God's Word together with you. Um, we're going to be reading the first nine verses together, and then we'll pray. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved, I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we come before you, we just ask that you would open our eyes, that today the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts that today we would understand and would go out a happier people, a more joyful people, because we've seen you. Lord, we ask that you would help me as I preach, help each of these friends as they listen, that today would be a day where we've heard your word. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, our passage today helps us to understand how to keep from being overwhelmed. What would you say worry is? In an article posted in Psychology Today, psychologist Jim Taylor said that worry is that nagging feeling that something is wrong and the persistent anxiety that it produces. Our word worry actually comes from an old English word meaning to strangle. In the 16th century, it meant to verbally assault. And by the 17th century, it meant to bother or distress or persecute. The article goes on to say, Worrying is obviously not a pleasant emotion, but it's actually an essential, normal, and instinctive emotion that has been hardwired into humans to help us survive. Worry can morph from that healthy practical form of concern and vigilance to a preoccupation with preconceived threats, with perceived threats that are incredibly unlikely or not particularly threatening. The article summarized worry by concluding that worrying just makes you miserable. Worry is when we become anxious about the uncertainty of or the, act, uh, 
the uncertainty of actual or potential problems. I want us to begin with two verses, verses 6 and 7, and then we'll go back and we'll look at all the verses together. I want you to notice in verses 6 and 7, he says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, God promises us peace which exceeds anything our mind can come up with. Let that settle in for just a moment. God promises peace which exceeds anything our mind can come up with. We can't fathom that because it's beyond our thinking. From 1997 until 2002, the computer company Apple had an ad campaign called Think Different. Their ads focused on those who were not like the rest of the world, but chose to follow a different path. They focused on people that today we see as changers rather than followers. Each ad focused on a few people and then would always end with this slogan, Think Different. Now Philippians challenges us, Philippians chapter 4 challenges us to think different. Through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit wants us to know something very, very important. We can live our lives with joy. We don't have to be overwhelmed with life. How can we live? We can live fulfilled lives, but how can that be? What can overwhelm you? Well, sometimes circumstances overwhelm us, don't they? A change in your family schedule, things aren't the way you had planned for them to be. It could be any number of things in our families where our life schedule has changed. For some, it's the unexpected birth of a baby. For others, it is maybe a job change. For others, it is um, something that was not the way they had planned it. You know, this is so appropriate for the times in which we live right now, yet we recognize, you know, what we're going through, the difficulties, the uncertainties are no different than what people had when this was actually written over 2,000 years ago. We have circumstances. Sometimes people cause us to worry. As parents, maybe we worry over our children. Now, remember, we talked about you can have care for something, but then it goes into concerned about the things that might happen, things that we aren't in control of. Maybe it's trouble with a spouse or maybe with a best friend. Maybe it's things, financial pressures, or maybe an intangible thing such as maybe a reputation that you're afraid someone is going to hurt your reputation. And you worry about that. Things that probably won't happen, but could, and we worry about them. So how do you keep from being overwhelmed? That's our question for today. And through the book of Philippians, the Holy Spirit has been revealing that joy doesn't come through circumstances. Joy doesn't come through people. Joy doesn't come even through things, whether they be tangible or intangible, which is what we looked at last Sunday. Joy comes 
by having the right focus. You see, when you know you are accomplishing what you were made to do, and remember we focused quite a bit of time in Philippians chapter 2 on that, when you only have one person you're accountable to, which is the Lord Jesus, and when you recognize that earth's values are temporal, but God's values are eternal, you can be secure. And you can enjoy life because the important parts of life are happening. As we begin chapter 4, notice what has happened and on what the Holy Spirit spotlights to give joy. He says, stand fast in the Lord. He's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. He's going to tell us to depend upon the Lord. And he's going to tell us to think like the Lord. And finally, he's going to tell us to act like the Lord. First of all, stand fast in the Lord, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my beloved, my dearly beloved, and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. He begins by telling us, stand fast in the Lord. Stay focused on the Lord. It's a personal relationship description that's here. What do these terms describe to you? He says, my dearly beloved. It's a relational thing. It's, it's, it's as if he was saying, my favorite. Then he goes on, he says, my longed for. They're distanced at that time. Isn't that? And they were social distancing all the way back in Philippians. They wanted to be together. They couldn't be together. And, you know, we miss being together. The joy of, of standing in the lobby and talking, the joy of singing in a group together rather than me singing to a camera and you singing to a screen. Paul wanted to be with them. He said, my joy and my crown. He's talking about something that is very valuable the prize I work hard to acquire, like an Olympic medal, how a person trains and works and works and works and works and works to be able to, to measure good enough to be able to go to the Olympics and even win a medal. Well, here he's saying, you are my joy and my crown. He's saying, I want you to know how much I love you. You know, distance can cause people to begin to wonder, what's our relationship really like? And Paul's saying, you are my dearly beloved. Then he says, stand fast. Notice he says, so stand fast in the Lord. Literally he's saying, keep your standing, the place where you already are. You know, it's so easy to begin to wander away from the very ground that we have already conquered, that we've already attained. The word stako here is the Greek word, which sounds just like stay. Stand fast. Be there. You know, it's not something you're trying to acquire. Paul is saying, stay, what you, stay with what you've already acquired. Stay with what you already have. Don't walk away from it. And in verses 2 and 3, he talks about how relationships can sometimes cause us to lose focus about our certainty, our worth, and our joy. He mentions two ladies by name, two sisters in the Lord, who are having a disagreement. You know, Paul honestly addresses what everyone else knows but is afraid to talk about. 
Here are two ladies. People could see what was happening when Yodius and Syntyche weren't getting along, and people every week when they would meet, or maybe even on a daily basis, as people would see these two ladies not interacting, the Christianity that had been so evident in their lives was no longer being evident. And you know what Paul says? He says, I beseech you two ladies, have a right focus again. Get your mind back on what's most important, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that has put you at odds with each other, he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, John Phillips in his commentary says, you know, differences of, of opinion about the drapes over the baptistry, some uh, people are not even on speaking terms. And he's talking about things that happen in churches regularly, where people lose sight of the most important thing, stand fast in the Lord. They've lost sight of being of the same mind in the Lord. You know, we're all different. We all have different hobbies. We all have different enjoyments. But we all have one thing in common, and that is we want to be of the same mind in the Lord. John Phillips says, you know, sometimes spouses are even drawn into the squabble where people at church or maybe even in homes, people begin to take sides. And rather than focusing on the fact, that's my brother, my sister in Christ, and we both have the same ultimate goal. Remember in chapter 2, we talked about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, focusing on he was willing to set aside all these other things to accomplish the goal. And then God speaks, and he says in chapter 2, he says, now you work out your purpose. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, you're here on purpose. Now we have all these other things that we're doing, but we never want to lose sight of the mission. And what does God have us doing as part of that mission? You know, differing opinions happen sometimes about what's even in ministry. John Phillips says, you know, maybe they were even, these two ladies were disagreeing on how to do ministry. You see, but with the whole church at disagreement or the whole church taking sides, what happened was is that it's a testimony to the unsaved, that Jesus Christ really doesn't do what he said he could do. You see, the work of the church comes to a halt because people can't agree on things. Now, there are a lot of things we may disagree on. We may disagree on politics. We disagree on dress. We disagree on diet. We may disagree on sports. We may disagree on some books. We may disagree on some music. We may disagree even on some speakers. But there are fundamental things that we agree on. We agree on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We agree that he was unique, that he came, that he was virgin born. We agree that God's word is our sole authority. We agree that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the working in people's lives and that people are regenerated. We agree. You see, there, there are core things that we are going to agree on and learning to be patient with each other, even when that person isn't making the spiritual progress that we think they should be making. I appreciate this quote out of Pilgrim's Progress where John Bunyan said, and this is in Old English, so you have to listen carefully. Canst thou in vision see 
the man God meant. Thou never more couldst be the man thou art content. You see, if each of us would just always be looking at the fact of what God wants us to be, and each of us would be content to understand that God is working in other people's lives, and they're not what they ought to be, but they're not what they're going to be. They're going to change. Can you imagine the shock of these two ladies of their names being read in public? You just have to let that settle in for a moment. And for 2,000 years, these two ladies' names have been being read in church. But you notice what Paul said? He remembered the good things these ladies had done. And he, he encouraged the leader there. He says, help these women which labored with me in the gospel and with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are written in the book of life. You know, he said, help these ladies not disappear in humiliation. These ladies need to fix their problem, but then everyone needs to come along aside and encourage them. Deal with what's scarring the church. Throw away trying to dig up dirt on each other. Focus on encouraging each other to go the right way. Churches are going to have people who struggle because each of us struggles. But he encourages them first. He says, stand fast in the Lord. Focus on the Lord. In verse 4 now, we go on and he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You see, discord dies when we focus on the Lord. Focus on the goal. Paul had said, for to me to live is Christ. It's all about Christ. And to die, I get to go be with him. He says, have the same mind. You see, God's character and how God impacts the world, that's the mindset we need to have. We need to focus on the Lord and rejoice in the fact that he's not like everyone else. God never changes. God's always righteous. He always does right. He's always loving. He never changes his mind. All of these things are important for us. You see, here is the path to this goal of rejoicing in the Lord. Look at verse 5 with me. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Notice he says, let your moderation. It's the same thing he, he talks about in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, let yourself be known for what's important. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You see, he's saying, um, what is the path? He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Be equitable. Be fair. Be mild. Be gentle. First Timothy chapter three, verse three, Titus chapter three, verse two, first Peter chapter two, verse eighteen, and James three seventeen. Tell us, be equitable, be fair, be mild, be gentle. The word here uh, in another translation, he says, Let your reasonableness be known unto all men. 
You know, we don't have to always prove that we're right. Be reasonable. Be willing to work with people. And notice the end of the goal. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming. Is this really how you would be acting if you really were focusing on the fact Jesus could come today? Am I doing what Jesus wants me to be doing? You know, he wants me to be with my family. He wants me to take care of my house. He wants me to be a good steward of the things he's provided. He doesn't want me, though, to be squabbling. He doesn't want me to be unkind. He wants me to be equitable. He wants me to be reasonable. Why? Because that's God's characteristic. Verses 6 and 7, we read, Depend on the Lord. He says, Be anxious, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The word careful has the idea of being anxious, anxiety, to worry. That's where we, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? When you look at problems in your life, when you look at situations in your life, when you look at things that might happen in your life, how do you keep from being overwhelmed? Well, he says, don't worry. You know, this is going to be a choice. You say, well, I can't help the way I feel. No, but you can make a choice as for what you will do. How do you keep from being anxious? Well, the answer is to replace those thoughts with something else. You notice he's going to give three things here. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So here are some things to consider. He says, what are the three things? He says, first of all, we need to worship God. We need to share our needs with God. And we need to be grateful. Everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is the general term there, but it has the idea of worshiping God, of honoring, recognizing God. Now, what's interesting here, if you, if you would go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, you find some interesting verses where he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Sometimes we get confused about what is this passage telling us. It's telling us the same thing that it's telling us here in Philippians chapter 4. I was talking to a good friend this week who was struggling with the concept of, so what's wrong with me? Why can't I give thanks for everything? That doesn't seem right. I'm not thankful for this coronavirus. I'm not thankful for, and you can fill in the blank, I'm not thankful for the death of a friend. What does the scripture tell us? And you notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's telling the same thing he says here in Philippians chapter 4. All three of those things, he says, I want you to rejoice evermore. I want you to pray without ceasing. I want you to give thanks because this is God's will for every believer. Now, why would God ask us to always be rejoicing, to always... Um, be praying, and to always be giving thanks. Because, you see, it allows us to look up in spite of our circumstances. 
It allows us to see we rejoice in who God is. We look around us and we see a lot of things that we would say, I'm uncomfortable with this. But I'm so thankful God is still God. Pray. You see, rejoice in who God is. Pray is remembering what God can do. And giving thanks is remembering what God has done. You may be going through some difficult times right now, but those three things are really important. Remembering who God is, remembering what God can do, and remembering what God has done. You remember just a week or two ago, I showed you a stack of mugs reminding me of what God had done. I showed you a tractor reminding me of what God has done. Why does that help me? Because you know what, what I'm going to go through this week, I need to remember what kind of God I have. Remembering who God is, remembering what God can do, and remembering what God has done. It's not for everything, give thanks. It is in the middle of everything, still give thanks. Our Lord Jesus Christ illustrated this himself when he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, but it wasn't the joy of the cross. It was the joy of accomplishing God's will, despising the shame. You see, you don't have to like the bad things. In fact, we don't like murders. We don't like the, we don't rejoice in murders. What we do is we rejoice in the middle of those difficulties because we're remembering God. You see, bitterness comes when we forget that God is still on our side. Worry comes when we forget that God is still there with us. And verse 7 tells us, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word, um, uh, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts. Um, the word here has the idea of to join. You see, God's peace is because we have joined with him. To walk remembering he is with you. Peace which is beyond our thinking. Well, how do you get this kind of peace? With this peace of God, this being joined with God, how do you get that? Well, it's remembering those three things that we just saw beforehand. It's remembering to rejoice, to worship God in prayer, to bring our requests before the Lord in prayer, and to thank the Lord for the things that he does. Then he says in verse 8, I want you to think like the Lord. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. Some of those English, older English words, we begin to confuse them. And so let's look through these. First of all, what's true? He's saying, think about things that are honest and genuine. Why? Because it reminds us of God's nature, that there is an absolute, that we can know for certain. That is compared to dishonesty, deception, things that are honest. Literally, the word there means honorable or noble, worth drawing attention to. You know, there are some things that just aren't worth your time. And he says, don't focus on those things. Just, the word there, has the idea of being fair. Right, has the idea of righteous, on the mark. It presents what is true. You know, through Scripture, we find some sometimes uncomfortable stories. 
We find some things of people who made bad choices physically, emotionally, but always, it's always presented from the standpoint of what is right. You know, there may be things that we read that are uncomfortable, but we always have to come back to, but does it present what's right? Does it present what's pure? Something that's undiluted, it's not mixed with wrong, or lovely, dear and beloved, something that's worth hanging on to, and of good report something that is worthy of praise. What do we spend our time thinking about? Well, think about the things that would allow us to think like our Lord would think. Because you see, He always is true and honorable and just and right. He always focuses on the best. Now we come to verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Choose to do. How do you keep from being overwhelmed? You choose to do the things that God says so that you're free to enjoy. You're free to rejoice. You see, every person has a choice. We do what we do, not what we feel. Because what we do, what we do, will change the way we feel. James tells us that, that it is in the doing of the deed that we are blessed. So what does Paul challenge the Philippians to do? How does he challenge them to keep from being overwhelmed in the problems they were in? He says, put this trio, these three aspects of prayer into your life. Or you could go to the Thessalonians passage and it is not only in your prayer life, but it's in your daily life that he says, look, rejoice in the Lord. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. It's God's will that you do these three things. And they will bring blessing to your life. They will bring peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep you. You, you see, there's hope. And you can live different. I know it should be differently, but I'm hoping that just as it rattles your mind to you go, wait, that's not the way it should be said, I'm hoping it will stick and you will say, oh, okay, I want to live different. You see, worry and fear upset you. Wrong thinking can set you up for discouragement and depression. God says, I want you to focus on what you have. Stand fast in the Lord. 